This is Appalachian Vibes on Radio IQ. I'm your host, Amanda Baki. Appalachian Vibes is a show dedicated to challenging the expectations and celebrating the diversity of music created in the Appalachian region. Will Overman, a native Charlottesville songwriter, recently moved to Nashville and tells the incredible love story that inspired his song, Winemaker's Daughter. Catherine the Great is an acclaimed songwriter, and we discuss being queer in music and not caring what the grown-ups think. And Jared Stout gave his mom a run for her money growing up. She decided to send him to military school, how it shaped him into the tenacious songwriter he is today. My first guest is Will Overman. I'm Will Overman, and I'm an Americana musician. I feel like that always needs explaining because it's a pretty broad genre. So I'm a singer-songwriter. My music kind of spans from folk to pop to bluegrass to rock and roll. Sweet. And you said you just moved to Nashville, right? I've been tiptoeing around Nashville, I feel like, for five or so years now. And after COVID, my wife and I were just kind of itching for a change. We wanted to make a change in our careers and our lives. And we kind of wanted a city. We were living out in Crozet, uh, which is a small town outside of Charlottesville. And as much as I love the country and the mountains, we were just kind of itching for something different. So we figured, if not now, when? And we went for it. You know, I've heard a lot of people using this time as almost like a launching pad. And so many people totally upended their lives. Some wanted to and some didn't. And I'm just wondering, uh, how has that change impacted your life? Well, you know, the pandemic forced me to make my living in music in a different way than I was making it before. I was kind of operating under the traditional tour model and hit the road and try and sell merch. And then when that kind of was just no longer possible at all, I had to pivot. I got into sync writing for commercial television, which was a blast. How did you start that? Um, I had a family connection that got me into writing for Fox Entertainment, and they gave me a shot. I went for it, gave them what I had. They enjoyed it. I was lucky enough to get a call back from them. Where would we have heard your music on a Fox show or a commercial? I had a placement on a uh, Gordon Ramsay promo. That was pretty cool. That was back in, I think, April or May of 2020. Just me singing, it's like four words. <laughs> but I made, I made the commercial and that I felt like a rock star. But yeah, that's the only place as of right now, I think. Bad Apartment is a, a tribute to all the strange places we have to live in our 20s. And this place in particular was where my wife and I lived when we were um, both in school in Charlottesville and we were in our like early 20s and we were trying to wrap up our, our different school programs and working multiple jobs and just kind of hanging in there and felt like we were kind of ships in the night. She was a baker. I was touring and our schedules didn't sync up at all. And we lived in this, it was actually a really great apartment. Um, but we lived in this little quirky spot kind of on a back street in Charlottesville. And it just had all these little nuances to it that looking back on that spot, even though we griped about it, in the moment, it made it really special. Um, and I think that time in your you know, early 20s or late teens or even your mid-20s in which you're just still figuring it out and you've got a lot of balls in the air and you have no idea how they're not falling down, I think that's a really special time. That's it's, it's kind of finite. Um, so this song's about that. It's about it's about kind of the first chapters of a, of a relationship too. So. 
anything we can play in about the rest for a place we haven't stopped talking about since there ain't a day that goes by nobody needs that I wouldn't sign for a moment We complain about the drive To the bars When we were never going out that night A bucket naked and a bottle of wine Warmed by the fire eating cold fried rice Rain and snow We were shaking all the time And a apartment on the back street In a small town Cause the man downstairs smoking cigarettes will have the landlord knocking the fire About a apartment Better times I think the worst place I lived wasn't an apartment. It was like a little cottage in the like the on this farm outside of Charlottesville and it had the potential to be amazing. But it was not well kept and it was like a cinder block structure and I remember a heat bill was like $600 because there was no insulation. It was like it like blew me away. And then you'd go downstairs and it was kind of built into the slope of this this hill and the downstairs is where the kitchen was 
And we walked down one morning and there was like a toad in the middle <laughs> of the floor and the floor was soaking wet, not because of like a leak, but because it was so moist down there, it like felt like a swamp. And that, that was probably one of the worst places I've lived. The, the windows didn't really close. We were freezing or super hot. I think our well went dry one time. <laughs> oh no, the actual well went dry? The well actually went dry, yeah. What so. do you do in that case? I think we were like, we gotta go somewhere else. How old were you when you met your wife? So we actually met when we were 14. We've got, we've got a pretty awesome story, if I do say so myself. So we met when we were 14, we were backpacking on this program in Wyoming. And we had a huge crush on each other. I found out she's from Charlottesville. She found out I was from Virginia Beach. And we were like head over heels for each other in like a 14-year-old way. Finished the trip, got home. I used my mom's email to keep in touch with her, all that kind of stuff. And then we fell out of touch, you know, through high school and stuff like that. But then we got back in touch and started dating when we were 18. And um, we got married a year and a half ago. Congratulations. Thanks. How long have y'all been together then? Uh, almost nine years. So we got married on um, her parents' farm outside of Charlottesville. And it was a beautiful wedding day. It was the end of September. It unfortunately was extremely humid. It was like one of those September days where you it could either have been like 60 and crisp or it was like 85 and not crisp. And it was the latter. We had a big thunderstorm right before the wedding, which was fine. Um, we let all our friends drink and get a little loose before the wedding and it ended up being, it was more magical than I ever thought it was going to be. So Winemaker's Daughter is the title track off of my record. Throughout the process of recording, I had been wedding planning because my wife and I were getting married in September and I think we recorded in June. So I was very wrapped up in recording and wedding planning and my head was over here and it was over there. So eventually I just started to write about like the wedding planning and the wedding and the event of getting married. So this song is from the perspective of like the eve before getting married. And it's, it's kind of like a letter to my wife. Like it opens up with tomorrow's just another day. Forget their advice. You know, people will say anything. And I think she and I were so wrapped up in or trying not to be so wrapped up in like the institution of marriage and more so focusing on like what it meant just to like tie that knot and, and to do that ceremonially. So the song is, is kind of about that where it's, it's just saying like, hey, all this is well and good. Like you look beautiful in your dress. I look great in my suit. But in the day, we're just taking the next step in our relationship. Tomorrow's just another day Forget their advice For it's the only thing We're supposed to do once But you know people They'll say about everything My suit is wore Your dress is white We chose for the chores to lie Can't plan for the heat Can't plan for the rain But I plan to make you mine Baby, bring on the rains Baby, bring on the thunder 
gonna make you my wife Maybe one day a mother Time may change a few things We're heading for open water Oh, it's just me and you, babe Maker's daughter, red, white, and muscadine. Your father's not a fan of mine, but all good things they take some time. I will treat you like he treats his wine. Fine, fine wine Sweet Virginia summertime Good God, she's mine Seventeen gasoline whispering Baby, bring on the rain Baby, bring on the thunder I'm gonna make you my wife Maybe one day a mother Time may change a few things We're heading for open water Just me and you, babe The winemaker's daughter Oh, it's just me and you, babe The winemaker's daughter Did you cry when she walked down the aisle? Oh, yeah. I lost it. Did you? Oh, yeah. Big time. So I wrote Living Wage when my wife and I were living down in Carborough, North Carolina, right next to Chapel Hill. We had gone down there for my wife's job, and I did not have a job, and I couldn't find a job. And I had kind of just left like my safety net of Charlottesville, and I just felt really disconnected from any like hopes of progress. I just felt like I wasn't going going anywhere. I felt like I felt like I was floating. And I was in a weird place with music too. I like had kind of taken a step back. I wanted to reevaluate how I was going about my career. So I sat down and just started writing, which was nice because I didn't really have any this song. I wrote it in a very like vulnerable time in my life and my music career. And I wanted to write something that was for all of the people out there trying to make a life under a creative endeavor, whether that was music or performance art or, you know, whatever medium, because I felt like I didn't know how to make a living wage in music. And I identified with a lot of other people out there with that same struggle. So 
the song is about that and and wishing that the intangibles in life like the love from your partner or your family and the you know good times we all feel wishing that could pay the bills instead of the you know the actual dollars we have to make waking up as she walks away the promises alive without a plan left me with a dog and a cold cup of coffee made in order to think on ways I could be a better man Christmas on credit It's a week late Can't afford to buy beer But I'm drinking champagne It's time to shut up Time to show out Got a real good heart And I know how Time to piece it all together And find out what I made Time to get up Time to get straight
Wish it was easier to make a life in music that not only you knew you'd pay the bills, but you could have a little extra cushion when your car dies, you know? When my wife and I moved back from North Carolina to back to Virginia, I, I was like, you know what? I, I really want to make it happen in music. I really want to. I, I kind of hit, hit a wall and was really unhappy with the way I was doing music before. And after kind of hitting that low, I came out of it with a steadfast steadfastness I don't think I had before. And I was like, I really want to make this happen, but I know in order to do that, I have to do things differently than I was doing them. I got a booking agent um, who then turned out to be my manager, Evan Hunsberger. He wanted to get into management right when I was looking for a manager and it was just kismet. that worked out super well. And we were just like, you know what? Hey, let's go for this thing. I'm young and hungry. You're young and hungry. We're both still learning, but it sounds like we're in a great spot to really go for this thing. So that was a couple of years ago. And, and that really changed my music career and honestly changed my life because I needed that direction and support from somebody who believed in me as a product to get the ball rolling. So that got things kind of reoriented, kind of right of the ship. And we were rolling and kind of rebuilding the brand because I had been Will Overman band for about five years. And then I dropped the band for my name and I, I didn't have the old band I had. So I was rebuilding a brand in itself where I was Will Overman. And you wouldn't think that, that would be a very hard transition. But when it comes to booking and selling shows, it was oddly difficult to like not have the band attached to my name. A big reason I made the shift in my career to like, quote unquote, go solo was that I would have more control over the creative process, over the financial process, over my, the way I conducted my business. So did you not have control over that before? I did not have control. Um, and I really cared for my bandmates and they certainly sacrificed a lot for me and, and my dreams and my goals. Um, but I think I was kind of, I think it was an uphill battle because from the get go, it was really my baby, but I wanted it to be this like collective unit. And it wasn't, I don't think I ever set it out or laid it out that way. You know, I was the songwriter, I was the front man. I was, you know, investing my dollars into a lot of it. And then I was expecting the same commitment level from my bandmates and that really oh. hindsight wasn't fair and it was yeah it wasn't it wasn't fair to any of us because it just wasn't clear that shift taught me more than i've probably learned in music throughout my entire career you were sitting on and i was sitting on the main story of my life running five minutes late la traffic's no excuse but it's hard to take you were halfway through a glass of chardonnay Said I'm sorry, that's okay. I got an appetizer coming. Tell me about your day. That's when I saw it, the rapture in your eyes. Sat down just long enough for me to realize the sky was falling. I was calling. Venice Beach, October, never thought I'd 
Listening to Appalachian Vibes on Radio IQ. That was Will Overman with the song Miss California. You can learn more about Will Overman at AppalachianVibes.net. This is Appalachian Vibes on Radio IQ. I'm your host, Amanda Baki. My next guest is Catherine the Great. You have a lot of songs that could be considered political commentary and uh, really strike a chord with me personally. Tell me about the song Sins of Our Fathers. What was this in response to? I wrote that in 2017 um, in response to a lot of my kind of like white Anglo-Protestant peers <clears throat> saying like, this is in America um, in response to the, the white nationalist violence. And, you know, the, the, if you've studied history at all, you know that that actually, that's, that's literally American history is that violence, that white supremacist violence. 
Um, so it was kind of my way of reckoning with, you know, my own family's past as, as slaveholders um, and the ways that even today I still benefit from that history and that privilege um, and trying to own that. And it's kind of, I guess, uh, a bitterly sarcastic song. Everything my grandmother owned was built on blood and sweat and bone and all her ancestors' brutality. But we've never reckoned for their crimes. We call them victims of their time as we sit on antebellum porches, sipping our sweet tea. We say, don't blame us for the sins of our fathers. We bear their names, claim their stolen lands. We walk through doors they've opened for their daughters but we never take the chance to make a stand when the white flag of the war came down it ended up all over town on the backs of constables and magistrates If we didn't march with them, we shook their hands and called them friends. When they lit their fires, all we did was turn away. Don't blame us for the sins of our fathers. We've left them in our homes and in our beds. We cleaned up after the slaughter but we couldn't help it we were all just kids these days we mostly stay inside read all the headlines and cry this ain't the country that we choose to know Cause we check the right box on the ballot Shake our heads over our salads Complaining all these bad apples They've really gotta go Don't blame me for the sins of my father I've never even tried to draw the line May praise the Lord for pardon holy waters, but I won't relinquish what was never mine. Please don't blame me for the sins of my father. Do I bear his name and claim his stolen land? And I walk through doors he's opened his daughter but I never take the chance to make a stand there's probably like a dismaying number of songs I've written based on getting mad about what someone says either uh to my face here on Facebook. 
it's very much that uh, I don't always have the ability to respond in that moment in the way I would like. So I, I uh, marinate on it and write a song and hopefully that has a more lasting impact than like winning the fight in the moment. I think so. I, and I wonder, do you ever, like when you see these things on Facebook, do you ever respond back? Like this is like six months later, this is the song I've written and received. Uh, not necessarily in that way, you know, and, and sometimes, um, yeah, and I think sometimes, you know, there are, when we get in debates or we make statements, it's not for the people we're arguing against, it's for everyone watching. Um, so there, I know very well that there are some minds that, that will not and cannot be changed, but um, you know, a lot of my songs like about, uh, queer struggles, you know, I write those for like the kids in the audience who might be listening, who aren't safe to come out for their family. Like, you know, I don't really care about if it makes the grownups mad. You know, one of the things that, that I believe as a music therapist is that songs exist as a container for, for any, um, difficult emotion or difficult experience. And there's nothing that can't be said in a song, you know, and we all have examples of that, of, of songs that have touched us that are about things that, that we can't speak. There's a Mr. Rogers quote, uh, if it's mentionable, it's manageable. And so I think for me that became, if it's singable, it's manageable because we weren't allowed to talk, but I could write songs about um, anything. And there were instances where those songs were, were mishandled. And instead of having a conversation, I got in trouble for them, but I was at least able to express those things. And I think that's, that's remained important to me as a songwriter where um, I've never been driven by, you know, uh, success in the commercial sense, but more so um, how can I say this thing that's, that's, you know, perseverating in my brain, that's keeping me awake at night. How can I get that out and put it in this box and, and make something ugly and difficult into something beautiful and resonant. Um, And that's, yeah, that's kind of my guiding light, whether it's, you know, heartbreak you know, your standard saddle love songs, or if it's something more, you know, um, political. My arm moved before I knew what I'd done. Flash of rage that knocked you down, stunned. Maybe there's some falls that you never get up from Maybe there's some falls from which you never wake Maybe there's some falls that you never saw coming You just had to push me to the break
maybe there's some falls that weren't falls at all. Maybe there's some falls that should have made her snap, but she always answers when I call. When I call. When I My twin sister and I had a band in middle school, um, and we had written, I think Emily had written this song, but, but I sang and played guitar in the band. So I sang the words. It had basically been inspired by like meeting someone who's, who self-harmed and kind of writing her story and had some kind of vivid imagery about that, about like blood and stuff. And so we played it for this talent show audition. We're feeling really good. And then like the teacher and my mom were like, you can't sing about that. You have to pick a different song. And no one was like, let's sit down and talk about this. Like, what made you want to sing about, you know, it was really an opportunity for growth and maybe some honest conversations. Um, and as someone who works with kids, you know, now, uh, my sister and I, she's a teacher as well. We're like, that That was really mishandled in a way that was deeply harmful going forward. <laughs> we, did like, we did like a Weezer cover instead. And it was like, everyone was like, okay, this is fun. This is great, you know? Um, yeah, so it was the wrong the wrong message there, but uh, fortunately, it did not dissuade me from honesty in my songs. It just maybe maybe a little more conscious about the audience. I found that people don't really listen to lyrics, and I could pretty much say whatever I wanted in a song. Like my mom would be like, "What a what a nice song." Well, one thing that one thing that my mom said once she was like, "I'm afraid that people will hear your songs and think I'm a bad mother." The real issue was my dad, but um, right. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely like that. I think it's, you know, kind of a boomer wasp thing where like, it's all about appearances, right? And so you have these like primal wounds that never get the chance to heal and they have to be cleaned out to heal, right? So um, I think the music and the songwriting can be a space for that, you know, and I definitely have some songs about my family and, and my parents and my childhood um, that I think do that a little bit, but they, they, they make people cry sometimes. Uh, but I firmly believe that there are no bad tears. I think of Adetana as kind of like my like solo project statement of intent, I guess, or like a creed. I don't know. I grew up going to Presbyterian church, so uh, we said a lot of creeds. Um, but, you know, for the first like 10 years of being a songwriter and playing music, I, I played with my twin. And then after college, we kind of like, you know, packed up those dreams away and, and moved to different states and got different jobs. So I, I think of this song as kind of about, you know, my journey as a person and kind of as a solo songwriter instead of part of a duo, especially the line, you know, I've got a face that people can't remember basically. And when you're a twin, like people remember you as a twin, but not necessarily as an individual. So just navigating the world, like by myself, basically for the first time at like 22 years old um, was difficult, but also I think, um, I'm a much better person and songwriter for it. And she's doing like a rad, like uh pop punk emo indie solo project now. You know, that's that's very true actually to the music we made as, as like 14 year olds, but playing, you know, electric guitar with drums and bass in the band. And I've always been a folk singer, even from like seventh grade, I was writing little country songs, but there wasn't a place for them in the act we had. So it was kind of like all that stuff that I kind of pushed aside to like be in like the rock band 
finally had a home. Well, I've lived a couple places. See, I've got one of them faces people can't recall the second time around. But I hope that they'll remember all the ashes and the embers of the words that I left burning on this rough and rocky ground. I've been told a time or two that I can be a downer No one's ever pulling for the out-of-towner I got good at seeing since I never could believe in what seems so easy to everyone else A silent observer Waiting for that world turner To reach on out and do something To show me itself If he could walk on water Well, I guess that I'm a drowner Sinking in a sea of all these other being queer has impacted songwriting for you or even the realm of being a musician being a musician one thing that i i just noticed as far as like the difference of my experience which which frustrates me and angers me is that like as someone who presents more like masculinely or androgynously that my peers who present more femininely get a lot more like flack they're still surprised that I can like actually play guitar, but it's very much like the energy I think is much more like bro-y because that's kind of my energy, I guess. Like I get called Sir at Kroger, you know, like that kind of energy. <laughs> um, it's like man bun hipster energy is more how I'm perceived. Girls like me, we don't get happy endings. On the page, or on the stage, or on the screen We're sentenced to the shadows And we hide out under darkness Unheard, unfelt, unseen Girls like me can get a little lonely when the hours of silence drag on for too long Cause when your day-to-day -day is a word that they won't say 
It's hard to think they'll miss you when you're gone But I'll do good for goodness sake Cause you said it yourself God don't make mistakes Girls like you, they keep it all on the inside Cause a secret is the one thing they won't take And those men don't deserve your time, your smile, your words A heart of stone or glass breaks just the same Girls like you, they're quick to write your anger Always standing up to fight for someone else When the flood comes in When the house burns down you're saving everybody but yourself You were kind for kindness sake You let me believe God don't make mistakes us we're used to being punchlines see we're lucky we don't leave body bags oh it's easier to joke when you don't want to cope with things that you don't care to understand girls like us don't want none of your pity we don't need empty-handed apologies We just want the right To live under the light Standing tall, walking proud and being free We will love That was Catherine the Great on Appalachian Vibes. If you'd like to learn more about any of the artists, go to AppalachianVibes.net. You're listening to Appalachian Vibes on Radio IQ. I'm your host, Amanda Baki. My next guest is Jared Stout, a Southwest Virginia crooner from Blacksburg, Virginia. You know, I was raised by a single mom, so she wanted some male interaction with me, and I didn't like doing my homework. That was a big thing. And continuously, she told me, you know, if you go to summer school again next year, I'm going to send you to military school. I was like, yeah, all right. I went to summer school. Half of my friends went to summer school. I didn't really care. You know, we lived out in the middle of the middle of nowhere. So for me, it was just kind of an almost an excuse to go hang out with my friends. <laughs> and I didn't mind going to class. The classes were super instructional. They were easy to do. I was like, yeah, this is great. Sure. Um, so I went three years in a row. And after my third year of summer school, she looked at me and she said, that's it. You're going to military school. I sold the house. I'm paying for your tuition. You're going. And sure enough, she sold her house. She sold it to a friend. Um, so I've been back there since, and they made it look great. But she sold the house and sent me to military school uh, for my first year. I was 
I was pretty blown away, you know. Who would have thought you'd have done that? <laughs> how how old were you? Uh, I was going, I was a freshman. I was going in, you know, I just finished up my eighth grade summer. So was that like, okay, you have to, you have to let me know how this influenced everything. Cause going from being a, uh, you know, a nonchalant, not really being into school kid to uh, a military school had to be a dramatic change. Um, yeah, it was a big <laughs> smack in the face, you know, like I had to start shaving immediately. I didn't have anything to shave, but I had to start shaving. <laughs> um, so that was weird. And nobody had ever taught me how to shave. So I had to learn at military school, somebody yelling at me, you know, just be like, now put it on your face and use the razor. It's common sense. Stupid. <laughs> You're just like, oh, God, you know, you cut yourself for the first time. <laughs> Somebody's screaming at you about the blood. <laughs> You're a failure. <laughs> but um, it was intense to go to military school for the first time at that age and, you know, be screamed and yelled at and do push-ups. And, you know, there was there was a lot of things to experience because uh I think a lot of people, you know, you stay in high school and you stay in your kind of lane and you understand your people and your surroundings. But when you go to a place like that, there's people from all over the world. You know, you don't know where anybody's from. So everybody's attitude comes in different shapes and sizes and forms. And you you immediately either become a people person or you're screwed. So you you have to learn how to communicate with so many different types of people and, you know, find your space and live in it. My first year, I was a total suck-up, did everything I could to get all my ranks up and everything. And then my second year, I just figured out how to ride the line in the middle and not really do too much. It was good. I enjoyed it. It was a great, it was a great experience. Uh, I don't regret a single bit of it. Uh, I'm sorry to my mom for the amount of stress that I totally put her through in that amount of time. On a clear sky night with the blood moon high while the wind has gone away. I sat down close with the love of most. Listen what she's got to say. Be honest in these things I hear that they leave your heart astray. If all's gone well, we just been through hell. Another hard damn day, yeah.
This is Appalachian Vibes on Radio IQ. I'm your host, Amanda Baki. If you like what you heard, share it with your friends and kin. And if you'd like to learn more about any of the featured artists on today's episode, go to AppalachianVibes.net. You can catch up on past episodes and nominate an artist there. I'll see you all next Saturday at 8 o'clock, right here on Radio IQ.